welcome family, friends, and new friends to our podcast, They Actually Survive. Uh, so today, we're going to be talking about a bear attack. Fun. And what are you going to be talking about today? Uh, I'm going to talk about um, the case of Julianne who fell out of an airplane after it was hit by lightning. Oh, awesome. <laughs> okay, so my name is Selena. I'm your podcast host. And I'm Andy, your co-host. Okay, so let's jump into it. So I'm going to... I'll go first today. Take it away. Thank you. Okay, so this is actually the story of a man who was mauled by a grizzly bear in Montana, and this happened in 2006. Um, now, I would imagine that all bears come from Montana. It's just, <laughs> There's just like a factory yeah, and, and yeah. the bears come off the production. I, I can't room. imagine Montana having anything but wilderness for me. You know, but I've never been there. But yeah. I just imagine it's just all wilderness. I don't know what's know. in Montana. I, maybe Mount Rushmore, or that might be the neighboring state. I don't. I, don't I think know. that is the neighboring state, like oh, South, South Dakota. I think that is. Yeah. Sorry, Montana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so um, now after hearing this story, there was like a lot of like shoulda, coulda, woulda mm-hmm. situations. Naturally. So I want to talk to you about that after. Okay. So and see what you think about it. <laughs> so. Um, the story is about Todd Orr. Now, Todd Orr set out for the morning hike uh, where he was going to scout out elk near okay. Madison Valley in Montana. So I guess um, he's going to be looking for elk uh, because the hunting season's starting up. Ah. But he can't hunt them just yet. Right. So uh, he took with him a powerful handgun he okay. uses for hunting uh-huh. and two cans of bear spray as well, okay. which a powerful handgun that's kind of weird. I, I always think of like shotguns or rifles, but whatever. He took a powerful I, handgun. I think revolver? For hunting? I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm yeah. not a hunter. So. I know. We're so California. They can't tell him so he's doing sad. anything wrong. I know, exactly. <laughs> so he's an experienced wooden, woodsman. Okay. Uh, he even works for the U.S. Forest Service. So okay. the guy knows yeah. what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. So maybe he belongs with this high power. Handgun. Well, the, the idea probably is that he doesn't want to like lug around a big yeah. of equipment. You know? Yeah, this exactly. Because like he's just scouting maybe. out yeah. kind of things, uh-huh. looking for the elk, uh-huh. just to see where they're going to be. So as he's entering that day, he yells, hey, bear, every few feet so as not okay. to startle or surprise bears right. in the area. Right. So, you know, probably just claps his hands right. and says, hey, bear. So about three miles in, he comes across an opening where he saw a mother bear and her cubs. The mother bear saw Todd and immediately started running into the trees. Okay. So, okay. You know, and that's what he thought. Like, that's exactly what a bear should do. You're supposed to run off. Yeah. So after Todd assessed the situation, he continued walking into the woods. Okay. Now, a while later, he hears rustling coming from behind him. Oh, no. The mother bear had dropped off her cubs to safety circled all the way back around to come up behind Todd. Oh, no. (laughs) Now, Todd immediately pulled out his bear spray while the bear is charging at him from about 50 to 60 yards away at full speed. She's coming. It's a tank coming, right? Yeah, exactly. So now from what I read uh, and what I've read, uh-huh. uh, bear spray actually works about 99% of time. So so Todd's good. Yeah, it's supposed to be good. (laughs) So... But uh, I think, well, I was just about to say, I think bear spray doesn't matter when it comes to a mother bear, though. Uh, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, a mother yeah. bear. Just, if, she's, I, if she's trying to protect her children, yeah, that's yeah. her mentality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So now he gave 
the bear, the full charge of the bear spray, Mm -hmm. about uh, 25 feet from where he is, the bear's momentum carried her right through the orange mist and was on top of Todd in an instant. Oh, no. (laughs) So, yeah, and that goes back to your guy. You know, you think like, oh, this is bad. (laughs) This is not good. Yeah, this is not good. (laughs) So, um, So he's on the ground. So he's on the ground with his face in the dirt. He quickly wraps his arms around the back of his neck for protection. Uh, So she's biting him again and again with such force, he described. It was like a sledgehammer with teeth. Yeah. So, yeah. At at one point during the attack, the bear had bit him along the ribs, which rolled him onto his side for a split second. And during that time, he was able to see the bear's face before he went back to rolling in this tight position. Yeah, for minimal exposure, you know, to his body and everything. Just trying to um, cover everything as much as he could into rolling into this ball. Uh, The bear eventually leaves him there. Mm -hmm. And he stays for some time, you know, covered up to make sure that the bear's not near before he's getting up. So knowing he has a three-mile hike back to his car to get to the hospital. Okay? So, um, So he's making his way down the bottom of the ridge. He encounters her again. No, no joke. No. So you think you think, oh my god, like everything's good. Survive this bear attack. I just gotta make my way to my car. Everything's fine. Like you're bleeding, your face is bleeding, things like that. You're like, oh, I'm gonna make it. You oh, know? you're back for round two, yeah. huh? <laughs> you want some more? <laughs> no. You just don't learn, old man. Don't yeah. school you again. So, so she continued the attack. Oh, no. So um, this time it was even a faster attack. Uh, she immediately knocked Todd down. Yeah. She continued the attack for some times, and her bites actually lifted him off the ground while he used every ounce of strength so to keep him. his face down yeah. yeah, and keep in this locked position. Yeah. So during the attack, Todd let out a gasp as she took a bite on his forearm down to the bone. So he heard the bones crackling. He let out a little bit of a gasp. And during this time, that slight sound triggered a frenzy of bites on his shoulders and upper back. And yeah, so she's going to town on him. So the bear's finally done with her attack and standing on top of get Todd. Get up, get up, Todd, get up. <laughs> she's, Come at me again. No, she's standing on Todd. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, so with she's all that... full weight on him. With all that weight. They're like a so, or something. Yeah, so um, he's remaining motionless, you know, to try to, to as they all say, you know, pretend he's dead and right. everything like that. So uh, finally, the bear leaves and he makes his way back to the car as he drives himself to the hospital finally um so todd had a good amount of injuries uh which it took him about eight months to recover from uh he looks back on the experience he doesn't resent the bear he said uh he doesn't even have a hatred towards bears but obviously has a greater amount of respect for them yeah (laughs) yeah uh you can actually see the video uh he posted just after the grizzly attack it's all over youtube it's under grizzly bear attack dash todd or uh, which it has like over 1.5 million views. Wow. So he took a video yeah. right after he got, and he, his... Like on the way to the hospital, he's filming... Before, he gets, before, oh, he, before gets he gets into the, the car. car. 
Okay, yeah, before yeah. he gets into the car. Yeah. So his ear was ripped. Uh, yeah. He's full of blood on his face. There's chunks taken out of his forearms. Right. The video is crazy, but what a freaking survivor to like be able to help yourself, basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, um, and then this guy's like total outdoor outdoorsman kind of guy. Right. So you could follow him on Instagram, but that's my story of survival for being attacked by a grizzly bear. Twice. Shout out to Todd. I know, right? What a survivor. I mean, you know, and going back to just even grizzly bears, and there's different bears, obviously. There's black bears, grizzly bears. I've heard you have to do different things with different bears. Really? Yeah. You know, a grizzly bear, you're supposed to, like, get up into a ball and, you know, play dead, things Uh like that. But I've heard stories, and I don't know if it's true, um, where you have to, like, stand up and, and, you know, growl and make yourself look as big as you can and things like that. But Hmm. you know how we talked about, like, the filing cabinet? Yeah, yeah. Survival tactics. Yeah, I don't know. I I would be so confused what to do if I was, like, a mountain lion compared to a bear compared to, like, a bobcat. Right. Um, what I've heard, and, and, you know, to the listeners, I am not an outdoorsman. You know, no. Todd is the professional here. <laughs> yes. I don't handle bears or any animals. I don't even have a cat, you know, so, so I'm not coming from any source of experience on this matter, but just stuff I've kind of picked up in my interest, you know, research or whatever, movies and whatnot, just curiosity. And some of the things I've heard with bears is like, the number one thing is that, um, uh, you want them to be aware of you. You don't want to sneak up on them because yeah. they'll like panic and attack. Well, yeah, that's so, why he was saying the hey right, bear, clapping, hey, hey bear, bear and clap. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I heard that. I was like, okay, yeah, I've heard that before. And then I've also heard like, you're never going to outrun a bear. And I've I've also heard don't ever climb up a tree and think you're safe. Bears yes. are designed to climb up yes. a tree. Well, and then just even them standing up alone. They're, I mean, they're they're, they're clearing what eight feet, Probably. six eight feet. Yeah. So I'm yeah. done for. I'm like five five something five nothing. <laughs> even if yeah. this were a race up the tree at the same time, you're right. It's bigger than you and it's faster than you. They climb trees all the time. Yeah. I don't. I've like never climbed a tree yeah. in my life. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, that rope and gym class. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. That Working. Is there an escalator? Yes. You guys don't put a ladder on this yeah, tree for me? I, honestly, like, I never know. Uh, we mm-hmm. go hiking quite a bit, um, and we have, like, bobcats. What is it? Bobcats out here, mm-hmm. mountain lions, you know. But I honestly wouldn't know what to do. I'm yeah. always looking out for them. Right. I'm always, like, watching and aware and very hyper alert when I go for hikes. Right. Um, just because, you know, I have my kids and things like that. So I, I want to make sure they're safe. But honestly, like, if I was out in the wilderness and I... Ran a bear <laughs> or something. Yeah. I would think I would walk backwards slowly. I think that that yeah. would be the only thing I could think to do. The other thing I heard with bears that I, that I thought was super interesting was that um, I hear they're really curious creatures. So what I heard was if you're running from a bear or trying to evade a bear, you should strip and throw off articles of your clothing. Oh, so that they'll and they'll stick with the clothing. They, yeah, you know, even if they're chasing after you, they'll like they don't know what a beanie is or a glove yeah, is yeah. or a jacket. It just smells like you. So that'll buy you time as it's chasing after you. It'll stop for a second and give it a couple of sniffs. 
you know, and then try to continue the Well, the next the time chase. I'm chased by a bear, yeah. I'll remember to throw my sweater off yeah, and yeah. my hat and stuff yeah. like that. It's going to suck if you show up to the woods in a bikini or whatever. You don't have, <laughs> you don't have anything. <laughs> yeah, like, those times I've showed up in a bikini. Like strip <laughs> poker at the highest stakes, you know? <laughs> um, I've also heard something else. This was a long time strip ago. Strip poker at the highest stakes. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> the name of the episode. Um uh, I've heard something else with bears too, where like if you're trying to run away, and again, you're not gonna outrun the bear. The bear yeah, is going to be faster than you. But I've heard that if you're in a situation where you're running from the bear, try to head downhill and to serpentine. I've heard I, again. You know, this is this is from a friend who's also not an outdoorsman. So you know, I, I don't want I don't want a listener to hear this. And be like, well, I tried that, and that bear still caught me and chewed me up. You're like, I'm, I'm sorry, you know. Um, I love I, I, I love our strategizing. Yeah. Although we never at <laughs> all, we're, we're coming not up with even in out, outdoors whatsoever. We have no idea if anything we say will actually work. <laughs> <laughs> Should but, we put a warning on this? I, I mean, like we'll, we'll just have to say the warning. Like you know, we are not survival experts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Other than our day to day struggles, like making the bills and you know getting the children fed and you know <laughs> keeping the car full of gas. You know, outside of that, we are not survival experts. But, but the idea I heard behind it was uh, because of bears so, so hulking and mass and, and, and bone and muscle, if you head downhill and serpentine, it's not able to do the tight turns of your serpentine. So it's more likely to like oh, okay. trip over itself and ooh and fall, and then maybe you dart up the oh, other way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Knowing me, though, and, and my family knows me well, and my friends, yeah. is I do trip quite often. <laughs> I am I am that victim oh, in no. the uh, horror <laughs> movies that always trips over herself. Oh, no. That would be me. I have fell, I think, at every single one of my friends' houses. we got to get you flaps or something. <laughs> 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 we we got to make a rule where you're allowed to be barefoot anywhere yeah. you go. Exactly. Maybe that would help me out more. I don't know. But yeah, anyways. All right. Well, we'll go on to your story. And what is your story about? Uh, the is, plane, right? Yeah, this is a story of Julianne who um, was on a, a, a flight when it was struck by lightning and it exploded in the air and she fell to the ground. And The whole plane exploded? I believe the plane exploded. There, was, there wasn't very much... They couldn't find remains of people. Like, there was practically nothing left from it. Wow. It was how bad it was. So, um, not only that, but uh, she, she has a really interesting background. So, she she and her family were originally from uh, Lima, Peru. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of that correctly. I think I'm pronouncing Peru correctly. But <laughs> I'm sorry if you're from Peru and you're like, no, that's not how my town is pronounced. Or city. I may have just miscategorized you guys as a, as a town instead of a city. My apologies. But, uh, but that's where her family's from. They're from Peru. Uh, her father is a biologist, and her mother is an ornithologist, which I believe is studying birds. Oh. I think, uh, I think it's anything with um, flappy wings who's an ornithologist. <laughs> I think. Um, uh, so, so, you know, father's name is Hans Wilhelm uh, Kalki, and her mom's name is Maria Kalki. And this happened when she was uh, 14. Uh, so her family leave Peru, to establish a research station named Penguana uh, in the Amazon rainforest. So these are like really smart research people, you know. You know what this reminds me of? It yeah. reminds me of Dora the Explorer. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's the story. What? Is she like 
Well, her, I think her parents are like scientists or something uh, like that. But uh-huh. yeah, go on with the yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so they go to the Amazon. Uh, they leave Peru to go to the Amazons and, and create a research uh, station called Penguana. And um, as Julianne's growing up, uh, her mom eventually, uh, they go back to Peru for, I don't know what, I want to say, you know, some kind of celebra- uh, celebration. They're not just staying in the Amazon for the rest of their life. They're going back every once in a while. And it's around this time that Julianne is graduating from school. And they start having this discussion over, hey, when do we go back to the research station? And Julianne wants to stay for, for, for graduation. Uh, but mom wants to, to push it back, I believe. While back in Lima, her mother wanted to return to the research station while Julianne wanted to stay a few days longer for her graduation ceremony. She's 17 now. Okay? They agree to take a flight back to Panguana on December 24th. So we're talking Christmas Eve flight. And all the seats are filled. They can't get an open seat other than a single airline has one flight with, with just enough seats for the two of them. And uh, I'm going to throw out the name of this airline because they're no longer in operation. It's it's Lanza, L-A-N-S-A. It's I wonder if it company. was because of this plane crash. You want me to tell you the answer to that question? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, the thing is, Julianne's father, uh, he's like, no, that company sucks. Don't take that flight. They're a bad airline. They have accidents all the time. Please, please, please don't take the flight. Well, They take the flight. And so you probably already have an idea of, you know, what the intro, what happens to it. They end up proving uh, her father correct. Uh, So this is Lanza Flight 508. It gets struck by lightning and it breaks apart in midair. And Julianne, she's still strapped to her chair. She falls two miles to the ground. And upon landing, she's got a broken collarbone, right? She's got a gash on her left leg and on her right arm, and her right eye starts to swell shut. Now, does she fall into trees? Because it's in the Amazon, right? Yeah, so so there's a lot of people who, who talked about how amazing her surviving the fall was. Yeah. And some people were saying, oh... Uh, probably the tree line helped cushion some of that fall. And some of the people, blow. Some of the blow, right. And, yeah. And, and from the description of what I read, it sounded like it wasn't just like her, you know, stool or whatever. It was like her row. And I think she was oh, in the middle of the okay, row. Okay, So okay. she had a little bit of like a canopy Cushion in her. a sense, yeah. Right, you know, she's in the middle as opposed to like being on, you know, the, the window seat or the yeah. aisle seat. So there, there's an idea that that also helped her uh, survive the fall. So her eye starts to swell shut. She she tries looking for her mother, who's supposed to be seated next to her, and she can't find her mom. So she gives up on that, and uh, there's no signs of, of where her mom is or where she's gone or she even landed. And she, she decides that she has to just start to try to survive on her own. Ultimately, she would learn that her mother had indeed survived the crash and the fall but died a few days later to her injuries. Oh, my god! She doesn't know this yet. She finds out after yeah. when she joins to search for other survivors. So she ends up surviving off of, like, sweets and candies that fell from the plane around her. So she's living off of, like, desserts oh, <laughs> for food for, for a few days. Um, and she finds a river, and she thinks about something that her father told her about, you know, life tends to follow rivers downstream. You know, the cities, the yes. civilizations, we build around fresh yeah. water. And so if you find a river, 
follow it downstream, you're very, very likely to come upon I've heard that multiple times. Right. Yeah, follow the river downstream. Right, right, right. Yeah. Exactly. So that's what she starts to do. It takes her 10 days. She's following this river for 10 days, wading through knee-high water. She ends up finding a boat that's, like, tethered to a moor. And, like, she's so polite about this. She doesn't want to steal the boat. So she ends up, like, camping out in a structure next to the boat, hoping that whoever owns this boat will come back for the boat at some point and find her and, and, and rescue her. So uh, and we've got a quote here. I remained there, but I wanted to leave. I didn't want to take the boat because I didn't want to steal it. End quote. <laughs> She's so polite about this, despite her situation. So thankfully, she doesn't have to wait very long. The following morning, a small group of fishermen find her and they bring her back to, to their village. And the day after that, there's a local pilot in town who ends up volunteering to fly her to the hospital where she gets reunited with her father. And after recovering from her injuries, uh, she joins the search for the victims of the crash, and she ends up finding her uh, the body of her missing mother um, on January 12th, 1972. So going back to your question about, I wonder if this is the reason why this airline doesn't exist. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this was the oh, flight that destroyed the, the airline. Oh my they, God. they lost their operational permit uh, to, to function as an airline. But see, company. was that their, I, I mean, I guess maybe it was their problem because I guess you're supposed to make the plane structurally sound to take on lightning strikes. Is that right? Maybe, I've like, seen and I've seen that and I've heard lightning hitting uh, planes like, in America, right? And uh, ours didn't disintegrate, right? So, so you know, there's, I think there's a lot of like layers to that. You know, you, you might want to ask, should they even be flying into a thunderstorm? And and like you've just said, I think that's a pretty normal thing because planes I think are it's happened. insulated. Yeah, you know, exactly. It, it, it's not a disastrous situation when a plane. It's gets not usually. By, yeah, yeah, not usually. So that probably suggests that the plane is in poor state. Maybe they weren't keeping up with their yeah, and yeah. repairs. Um, or maybe the pilot just did something super crazy and flew straight into it. I, you know, I don't really know that. I'm not a pilot. <laughs> so, but um, she, so her mom had survived the crash, but was stuck wherever she was with parts of the plane I, I think, and survived for the two days. I think what happened, possibly, I, I think how I thought it occurred was that she also landed in the chair next to Julianne. And then decided to leave, but I, I that never made sense to me. Why would why would you leave your family member behind? I think it's more sense that she would she was tossed from her seat, landed yeah. elsewhere, because then uh, according to the story, Julianne was looking for signs of her mom, who she knew was seated next to her, and she didn't find any signs. So she has to make this unfortunate call to be like, "Mom's probably gone. I'm probably in this on my own." Yeah, and and go out. And, and you know what? Guaranteed. There's a lot of people who go on planes. I used to travel yeah. a lot. And yeah. there's a lot of people who go on planes and they don't seatbelt themselves in. Um, you know, when when we're instructed to do so when you yeah. take off and land. Yeah. But when yeah. the seatbelt sign goes off, people take their seatbelts off. Yeah. So I guarantee she probably wasn't wearing a seatbelt when the lightning hit. That's a good point. Yeah. And yeah. then just flew out. Yeah. I always wear my seatbelt. I, I just, that's me. Me too. You know, um, just in case uh, you've seen, I don't know if you've seen those crazy ones where they hit turbulence. Oh, okay. You know, all of a sudden. And the plane's all shaking. Yeah. Well, there was this one uh, video I saw recently where the cart 
you know, like the serving cart where they serve orange juice and flies up into the air oh, and no. slams the ceiling oh, and no. gets like all the drinks over everybody. Oof. But I mean, for turbulence to be that bad, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, like, like that's they, scary, man. They're usually aware. Of, I mean, I don't think turbulence like sneaks up on on the pilot. I mean, they, yeah, they, that they they have, they have to be aware of they, it. They know somehow. what they're about to fly into, and they have to make a call of. Is this something I should warn the passengers about? Or is this just, they you know, do, yeah. Like so You're you, right. You, you get that warning. They do like, warn us about turbulence quite often when I was flying. Yeah. And then they would also cancel the service. Like the, the drink service. Drink service. Ah. Yeah, they would when yeah. it was really high turbulence. Right. And that's the exact reason why is because you don't want to injure people. Right. You know, like. And you'll see the, the flight staff, like, they'll go to their seats. Yeah. They'll sit down and buckle themselves. And that's yeah. when you know it's serious. No, they're not walking around. Anybody survive from this except her? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, I, I think everyone was vaporized with the, with the exception of her mother's body being found a few days later. She was, I think, the sole survivor in this case. Jesus. Right? And then she goes on to, like, continue her research, and she, she graduates from, uh, I think, a school in London, so she didn't, like, let this stop her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Didn't let it devastate her. I wonder if survivors, you know, like we were talking about, have that PTSD. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it stops them at some point from moving forward and progressing at times. I, I think that is the the struggle. I mean, so, so speaking from my personal experience, because I, I had a, a, a near-death experience uh, about a year and a half ago, it's one thing to have the physical threat in front of you, be it the bear, be it the plane breaking apart, car accidents, you know, arm caught in the machinery or whatever. Yes, that is a life-or-death situation, and... You'll, you might die from it. Even if you survive that, there's also the mental struggle afterwards. Sometimes it's a stigma. Sometimes it's just this uh, uh, inability to cope with the stress and the trauma of it. And, and in my case, that was a lot of it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a natural storyteller. So uh, even while I was going through what I was going through, I was kind of like in my head thinking like, if I survive this, this is going to be a cool story. Um, yeah. If I don't survive it, I don't got to worry about it. <laughs> I gotta just bank on me surviving this and telling the story later. So remember as much of this as I can. And then once I Yeah, and I would love, we're going to go over your story. We'll we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there for sure, too, Uh, because it's a wild ride. So so in in my case, I got to that point. We we talked about it before where where you feel safe enough to like let go of the fight. Turn turn over the fight to the paramedics or, or the doctors or whatever. Relax. And and in my case, I had to, like, step it down in multiple levels. One of it was, you know, when the ambulance showed up, it was like, okay, I can't do anything more for myself for the most part. I'm, I'm not having to, like, run or anything like yeah. that. I just got to yeah. relax. And, and then I get to the hospital and the doctor see me. And then they admit me to my hospital room. And I'm thinking, like, okay, cool. I'm now definitely in the hand of all of the professionals. So if I die now, there's pretty much nothing I could have done in the first place. Yeah, you got yourself to as much safety yeah, as you possibly exactly, can. Exactly, you know. And, yeah. And then the the final step was when I woke up in my own bed the following day. And I was like, "See, I'm now out of the hospital, discharged from the hospital. I've been given, you know, the sign off from the doctors. Like, you'll you'll be fine from here. You're okay. And it was yeah. that moment where um, I had my like my crash of, uh, of mental. Uh, integrity. You finally let go. I finally let go. Right, exactly. And I'm replaying it in my head, you know, because again, natural storyteller, I'm going to be telling the story to people. And 
it's kind of like then and there retelling it in my own mind where I'm confronted with my own trauma of it. And I didn't know that was going on. You know, I'd get choked up, I'd lose my breath over it, and I'd start to cry, and I'd just, I'd just push it down. Because it's like, I, what, what is this? What's going on? Like, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, I didn't mean yeah. to open up that bottle. It's let me, uncomfortable. Let me bottle that back yeah, up. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It's hitting a nerve. Spray. and Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put it in a soda box. Yeah. Oh, soda spilling. Like, you know, <laughs> tap, tap, tap it off again. We'll, we'll tap it again later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, that's the thing, too. We talked about, like, survivor's mm. guilt, shooting incidences. Right. and we talked about like nine eleven, you know, touched on just things like that. Yeah, yeah, the immense amount of that survivor's guilt. Right. Okay, now what? Yeah. Like, yeah. I must have been left here for a reason. Um, what does is it mean? It? What do yeah. I do? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like you're given a second chance in a sense. Like yeah. now, what do I do with it? You know. I, I'm not a religious person, uh, but when I survived what I went through. It kind of gave me a little bit of clarity of the whole, like, well, maybe I shouldn't be stressing out about everything that I was stressing about, about it, you know, yes. the whole second life. Yes. Maybe I should be nicer to people. I mean, that could have been how I went, how I left this world. How weird is it legacy. that you think that? Because knowing you, you're one of the nicest people. <laughs> and you. for you to, like, think that automatically, like, oh, my I God. have to be nicer. <laughs> yeah, I have to. That's what you go to. You know, like, look. Someone like, up there was, like, yeah. you know, gave me a flick of their middle finger, Literally, and, you know, how, how do you like them apples, Andy? Like, you got, you're, you're not good enough. Be nicer. Okay, sir. You know, not quite like that, no. But, yeah, no. <laughs> touching on that, though, about the uh, religious aspect, sure. some people, um, and I have my own experiences in this uh, with my family, is some people, as they're getting older and mm. things like that and things happen to them, they get closer and they get the, instead of maybe being agnostic, sure. you know, they yeah. kind of, or atheist, right. they maybe go over to being agnostic. Like maybe something could sure. be a out shift. there. A shift. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. you know what? I always tell my kids, um, and, and I tell myself this too, and I try to live, I, I just want to be good mm-hmm. to be for goodness sake, like right. for the right. sake of being good, right. not because I'm uh, God-fearing right. or... Like I gotta that. be nice to someone up there tells me to be nice. Yes. Yeah. I just want to be good and a good person and just contribute to society or to life just because that's the right to, thing to do. Right. Not because somebody told me to, like you said, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. And and I think and I think both you and me agree on kind of like the structure. Uh, I know you're not very religious. Mm. I, I'm kind of like, you know, there could be something sure. out there. Sure. And yeah, just like we were talking about, you just want to be good for goodness sake. And, right. And you just want to be a good person. Like, that's what you aspire to be, right. in a sense, right? I, I don't subscribe to the idea of there being a good, happy place afterlife that you buy into if you have enough goodness tickets. You know, yes. yeah, something like that. I, yeah, I, exactly. I'd rather just, when I go, whenever that happens, I'd like to be remembered fondly. You know, yes. that's that's basically it. Yeah, for me. yeah, exactly. And, and you never know when someone else when it's someone else's turn to go. And I'd hate to be like the straw that broke their back, or or you know, if someone asked like people on the street, for example, when you're at an intersection or coming off the freeway, uh, you got the people holding up their signs. I can't see that and not give because to me, what if 
I could have helped them and I didn't, you know, and they ended up starving. They didn't survive that night. Now with their last interaction with how the odd that you think that way. That's so interesting that I know, you think I'm a that way. Person, huh? <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I put but all that like pressure you take, on. Yeah, you take all that pressure it's, on you of it, the world. You know, in my case, it, it's it's this thought of if you're in a situation and you could have helped, yeah, why, why didn't you help? Yeah. And is it for a selfish reason? Was it for a good reason? Oh, you know. now you're going to make me want to help people more. No. <laughs> it's not like I have an agenda <laughs> for that. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I think that's pretty much our episode for the day. If you do have survival stories, you could always send them to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could send them to info at theyactuallysurvive.com. You can Find follow us. On us. Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, just look up They Actually Survived and you'll find us there. All right, I'll talk to you soon, guys. And uh, yeah, everything good with you? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Thank you, listeners. And, you know, you too can survive. Thanks. <laughs>